It's hard to believe that it's, it's uh, almost August. It's almost August. You know, I've entitled this morning's message, Life in the Fast Lane. Is this summer going by fast for anybody? It's like, wow, it's just you blink and another week just went past. You blink and another month just went past. And, and we have uh, so much to do. We live in a society that we're always on the go, it seems like. And, and probably even today, some of you have plans after the service, so I'll try to hurry. And uh, so you can hurry up and run off to your next activity. Uh, I'm just using a little humor, but... Uh, there's an account in the scriptures that I'd like to touch on this morning, and I really believe this is going to be part one of two, so uh, I just couldn't squeeze it in. And uh, there's so much in this subject matter. There's an account in the scriptures that I believe will help us to see the importance of actually living life in the fast lane. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, Pastor, I think we should be, you want us to live in the fast lane. Well, it's a different type of fast lane, and And the backdrop is the book of Ezra. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to the book of Ezra, it's an Old Testament book about a third of the way through. And and just to give you a little background with Ezra, Ezra was a priest who, he was an Israelite, he was a Jew. And and this time of this uh, writing is the end of the Babylonian captivity. The the Israelites were, were judged by God and they went into Babylon for 70 years. This was something that God had prophesied through the prophet Jeremiah and others that uh, they kept rejecting God, rejecting God, rejecting God. And so uh, God used the Babylonians in his hand of judgment. But after 70 years, they were to return. And so we see that this is part of that return back to Jerusalem to get things rolling. And there was an initial wave of people who went to Jerusalem under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. And they built the temple, and then it was several years later where Ezra was also in Babylon, and he was given the green light to go to Babylon as well and to take another group of people, whoever wanted to go back to Jerusalem and to the land of Israel. And so the king gave Ezra lots of silver and gold, and he gave him the sacred articles uh, that were in the temple. When they went in and they ransacked the temple, they took all the the very expensive articles of silver and gold. And so now the king is basically entrusting him to Ezra to take these back and to establish a spiritual, healthy climate in Israel. And so chapter 8 of Ezra, it starts with Ezra, who wrote this. He's given the names of the people who went with him. Uh, And they were ready to head over to Jerusalem. And every one of those names represented a future that was filled with hope. Every one of those names represented a person that had, had, had dreams and excitement and, and they were ready to go back to this area that God had promised. They were living in the promised land and, and, and it, was, it was 70 years and so some of them had never even seen this place. But it says in Ezra chapter 8 and verse 15, this is Ezra writing this, he said, Now I gathered them, he was speaking of the people, by the river that flows to Ahava. And so this was like a staging area. So if you can, there's, there's about 2,000 people involved in this story, in this, in this account. So he's got a group of 2,000 people, and they're ready to go back. And it says, and we stopped there, and we camped for three days. And I looked among the people and the priests and found none of the sons of Levi there. Now the Levites were, were one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel's made up of 12 different tribes or descendants of a man named Israel, Jacob. His name was changed to Israel. And, and the Levites were instructed by God specifically. They were assigned by God to take care of the temple of God. 
And they were the ones who were responsible to make sure that the place of worship was in order and, and all the practices related to bringing a glory to God were fulfilled and so that it could be completed. And, and you could say it was like they were the, the, the buildings and grounds people. So if, if you all came to church here this morning and the doors were locked and the, the, the power wasn't turned on, you wouldn't be able to bring glory to God in the way that this building was designed. And, and so these Levites were in charge of the facilities and so Ezra is walking through the crowds of people as everybody's getting ready to go, and he's seeing all these different types of people. He's seeing, he's seeing all their luggage and their, and, and their bags, and, and he's looking at their, the horses and the donkeys and the carts filled with blankets and the, the carts filled with food, and, and he's looking at personal belongings like the kids' bikes and golf clubs and, and four-wheelers and kind of everything that they had, right? They didn't have four-wheelers. But they may have had golf clubs, I don't know. But, but they have all their belongings, and, and, and there's a few thousand people that are chomping on the bit. They're bringing everything back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. And he sees all these people, yet there's not one person from the tribe of Levi. There's nobody there who would be to ensure the place that the house of glory would be taken care of. And that was a problem in Ezra's eyes. He's like, well, we, we can't just move forward. You see, God had incredible plans for the, these folks and incredible plans for Jerusalem. And, and, and God wanted to usher in a great spiritual awakening in that land. And, and here the, the Levites were missing. And, and, and in spite of God's desire to do this work, and, and, and even though there was an invite that went out, these, these Levites who should have been focusing on this opportunity to step into this activity of God were nowhere to be found. And, and, and that's, that's not cool. I mean, one day those Levites will stand before God and give an account of, of where were you when you had the opportunity to go and to be preparing the place of the Lord. Where were you? You see, God was setting the stage for the eventual arrival of Christ, yet the people of God preferred to stay planted in a place of comfort. They, they, were, they were complacent. They were pursuing their own temporal interest instead of having God's eternal interest at, at the core of their heart. And so, so Ezra sends word back to the place where the Levites hung out in Babylon. And he's like, guys, God is about to do something here. But we need you to be involved with this. And so they go get these, the word out to where the Levites were hanging out, and 38 Levites responded. And so finally they got this big group of people, a couple thousand people, and here comes the Levites finally. And you can almost hear the cheers like, yay, they're finally here. Now we can, we can move forward and, and it's about time. And, and so then Ezra stands up as the crowd is ready to go and he, and he says, hold your horses. I mean, literally, hold your horses. We're not ready to go anywhere yet. We're not ready to go. And it says in verse 21, Ezra speaking, he said, then I proclaimed a fast there at the river. In other words, not so fast. We need to fast. We need to fast. You see, throughout the Bible, fasting is to abstain from eating food. Now, Ezra didn't call a fast for political reasons. He didn't say, we're going to go on a hunger strike and, and we're going to send a statement back to the government that, that we weren't happy with the way they treated us. Or It wasn't a hunger strike. It wasn't political. He didn't call a fast for health reasons, even though medically, if you read up on fasting... There's a lot of medical advantages to fasting and, and there's things that can take place in our physical bodies. 
But he asked the people to abstain from eating for spiritual reasons. You see, the verse goes on to say, in verse 21, it says, I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. In other words, he's saying, put away, put away the ice cream, put away the potato salad, put away all the hamburgers and hot dogs, put away the macaroni and cheese. We're going to pursue the heart of God. And that's it. So welcome to your, your, your new diet. Until further notice, your new diet is water. That's what the message was. I'd like to talk about fasting a little bit this morning. Now, fasting isn't a real popular subject. It's not like if we would have put the word out, hey, we're going to have a, a message about fasting, the place would have been filled up. So we didn't want to put the word out, right? I mean, fasting isn't like, yay, let's talk about not eating. It, it's not like on the, on the top list of, of subject matters that people want to, want to hear about. And, and so they say, well, you should put the, the medicine down with a little bit of sugar, right? So you can just call me sugar. And, uh, but really, God wants us to be edified and equipped. And I trust that you've been edified this morning, that you've been encouraged, and that you've realized that, that God has plans and, and that he knows your name and he's going to see you through what you're facing. But he also wants us to be equipped. And so I, I look at this as really an equipping. So we have an understanding. Well, what does God's word say about this whole thing of fasting? And why fast? I think that's the question that most people would ask right away. Why fast? Why should I stop eating and, and just drink water? Well, fasting emulates Jesus. You see, Jesus did the supernatural. He has called us to live a supernatural lifestyle. And Jesus did the supernatural. He set people free. He set people free from demonic activity. He set people free from diseases and, and infirmities. He, he restored marriages. He restored homes that were torn apart. He brought peace. He brought, he brought purpose to people's lives. And, and he did these things, and he came up against the powers of darkness. But you know, before he did one thing that was supernatural, he fasted for 40 days. You know, we look at the baptism of Christ, we look at him being empowered by the Holy Spirit, he went into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil, but he also fasted before he did one miraculous sign. Fasting. Now it's no wonder, or, or notice the timing of Satan unleashing his temptations against Christ. It was when he was fasting that the enemy came up against him with, with, with intensity. Might it be that the devil knows the incredible impact of a person who is filled with the Spirit that is also fasting? Might he have sensed, like, this is not good. It's time to, it's time to come out with everything, both barrels. I've got to stop this guy. He's fasting. And we read in the Word that, that Jesus set thousands of people free from all kinds of bondages and all kinds of illnesses and, and, and all of these supernatural signs and all of these things that, that were not, couldn't be attributed to the natural. And in John chapter 14, the night that Jesus was crucified, he said in verse 12, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. How many of you all have ever heard that verse before? That we're going to do greater things than he did. But, the verse, but this, is, this is a promise from Jesus, and it's been quoted by many people. But it even gets better. 
You see, the following verse, John chapter 14 and verse 13, Jesus continued talking and he said, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Whatever. He said, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's a powerful statement that Jesus made. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Anything. How many of you ever asked for something in Jesus' name and it didn't get anything? It's like, what's up with this? His word says that he will do anything, whatever you ask my name, that I will do it. And you see, this is where many Christians get stumped. Many Christians get frustrated and they say, well, how come, how come this is what Jesus promised, but I'm not seeing this, this promise come to fruition? Do you think it's on God's part or maybe our part? Survey said, our part, right? So, so might it be that we don't see what Jesus promised because, because we're missing something in his word. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, in verse 34. And he said this in other places, similar words. But in Mark 8, 34, it says, When he, speaking of Jesus, called the people to himself, with his disciples also, so it wasn't just his disciples, it was a, a group of people, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So that follow me wasn't necessarily meaning physically walk behind me, but it, it's basically speaking of walk the same road that I've walked. If you want to be my disciple, if you, want to, you, have, to, you have to follow me. In other words, Jesus was mentoring these folks. They're watching him and he's saying, watch what I do and, and this is what you're going to be doing. And so this is, this is part of mentoring. And many of you are involved with mentoring other people right now or you're being mentored. It's healthy. We have forms in the back. If you want to be mentored, you can fill those out. And so, so Jesus was, was speaking to these folks and he said, you, you got to follow me. Follow my example. In other places, Jesus modeled for them, I think in, in John chapter 13, in verse 16, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. In other words, Jesus said, This is what I went through. Do you think that you're greater than me? Or do you think you need to go through what I went through? And I'm not saying we need to go to, go to the cross, but, but the scriptures are full of us following in the Lord's footsteps. He said you must deny yourself. To deny self is to choose to abstain from something that your body craves. And friends, we crave food. We, we crave food. When we fast, we are accelerating the process of dying to self. That's what we're doing. We're saying, you know what? I want to die to myself. I want to be more like Christ. The sanctification process. Less to the old and more like Christ. And so we're accelerating this process. You see, Jesus didn't see fasting as optional according to the Gospel writers. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, in verse, in verse, starting with verse 18, it says, The disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. And, and some came to Jesus and said, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? How come, you're not, how come your guys aren't fasting? And, and Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bride is, bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come 
when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So Jesus was declaring in this passage that they would fast. Not they might. He said they would fast. They would fast after he was taken away. It was a pretty much a given in the mind of Christ. So when we read a passage of Scripture like this, we need to determine the context that it was used in. Okay, so was this, was this recipient specific? In other words, was Jesus talking about my 12 disciples, they will fast when I am taken away. Okay, so then we, we here now in the year 2000, we look back and we say, well, he meant they will, they will fast, his followers, and that's it. After Jesus is gone, they're going to fast, but it's not a timeless truth. Or we need to determine, is this a timeless truth that doesn't, wasn't restricted to just the disciples? It's for all followers of Christ from that statement forward that when Jesus is not physically there, that there would be fasting. And Jesus seems to shed some light on this, that it is a timeless truth. It says, you see, when Jesus answered the question, they asked about his disciples. And when Jesus answered the question, he broadened the group of those who would fast to the friends of the bridegroom. He didn't say, my disciples will fast. He said, can the friends of the bridegroom fast? Remember, Jesus used his words very carefully. And, 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 and so he's talking about fasting. And in this context, then Jesus follows up with still on the same topic, same context about fasting. He says in verse 21, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the, the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. And so Jesus was using this picture that they could understand of these, these, these wineskins that were made out of leather, and once they, they had wine that fermented it, and they would stretch out, but then they would get hard and crusty. And he said, you can't put fresh wine in them because they'll burst. They've already stretched to their limit. They're hard. They're crusty. And, and so uh, 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 Jesus was making this comparison that, that old mindsets can't be just tweaked a little bit to accommodate the work of God. And what he wanted to do, it, it won't work. He was saying that a radical transformation needs to take place in the life of a person for them to carry on the work of Christ. Are you with me on this? He's like, something major has to take place. You can't just tweak your life a little bit. And remember, he was just asked about fasting. He's in this conversation about fasting. But for an old, stretched-out wineskin to hold the new work of God, that wineskin would need to be emptied out, and it would need to be massaged, and it need to be worked with oil, which is a, is, a, is a picture of what it takes place in a person's physical body. When they are fasting, they're emptied out, and they're, they're, they're being allowing the Holy Spirit to work with them. That oil is symbolic of the work of the Spirit. And so there's something that's taking place, a softening, just like when you plant a seed that's hard. You plant that seed in the ground and there's life inside of it. But first that hard outer shell needs to soften so that the, the sprout can come forth, right? And it's the same with our bodies. When we, when we empty ourselves and when, we, and, and when we say, Lord, I want you to remake me, to change me. And, and Jesus was saying a radical transformation needs to take place in the hearts of people. 
You see, friends, we are in a world that is saturated with religion and religious mindsets that need to go. In other words, fasting is a method of renewing our minds. Amen? It's, it's renewing of our minds. Something takes place, and, and some people would say, well, you know, it's just too hard for me. I've tried fasting. Some of you have said, you know, I fast every night you know, when I go to bed till I wake up. We can all do that, right? We just need to extend that a little bit. But some have said, well, it, it, I get so weak and I'm hungry. You know, the reality is the hunger doesn't last forever. The hunger dissipates after about three days. Did you all know that? You might think, oh, I'd be starving for weeks on it. No, after about three days, you stop being hungry. How many of you all knew that? Yeah, after a while, it, it, it stops, your stomach stops sending those hunger pains. And another reality is, is oftentimes we get stronger when we fast. You see, we think, oh, I'm going to be so weak and just no energy. And, and for one, we're giving our stomachs a break. It's like our stomachs get to go on vacation, right? And, and, and our bodies, they rid themselves of toxins that suck the energy out of us. So there is a, 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 a medically purifying process. And so we're getting rid of the junk that, that, that does drag us down, that sucks the energy out of us. So you can actually be not hungry and, and be vital and, and have energy and, and, and continue to move forward. You see, our actual hunger returns at the end of the fast. The end of the fast. Consider what, what is recorded about Jesus in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. When he was baptized, it says in verse 1, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended those days, he was hungry. Okay, so the hunger returns at the end. And then it says that angels ministered to him. So I'm guessing they brought him like angel food cake, right? But it was after he fasted that he became hungry. It didn't say Jesus was starving for 40 days. No, he fasted. And afterward, his hunger came back. You see, otherwise the stomach is just dormant. You're, you're, you're still keeping the water going through. You're feeding your body with the nutrients. But the stomach, the stomach kind of goes to sleep. After fasting, Jesus was empowered by the Spirit like never before. In Acts chapter 10, we fast forward a few weeks from, from, this, uh, from, the, from the Gospels and, the, and the, the death and the resurrection. In Acts chapter 10, we read of a man named Cornelius. He wasn't a Jew. He didn't know about how to receive Christ, but, but he had a heart for God. In other words, the Holy Spirit was working on him. And, and, and it says in, in chapter 10 of Acts that he was praying and he was generous. And, and, and at one point he was fasting. And when he was fasting, this is a man who doesn't know Jesus Christ. But he had a hunger for God. And as he's fasting, God dispatched an angel to talk with him. And, and he appeared to him. And he says, I want you to send to Joppa. There's a man named Peter there. You, go, you send men for him and call him back and, and he's going to have a word for you. Okay, so he gets this angelic visitation. And, and so I have to wonder if every time a person cries out to God in prayer and fasting, if a shockwave is emitted into the spiritual realm. 
I'm going to talk a little bit more about that next week. What actually takes place in the spirit realm when we start fasting? You see, historically, great revivals that are recorded in history. If you study the revivals around the world, almost every one of them, fasting was a key part of moves of God. And, and so we see here that there was a great move of God that was about to happen with Cornelius in his home. And, and, and I'm, again, if you're not familiar with the account, you'll need to read it. I'm not going to expound on that. But, but, but I would suggest that Cornelius was not the only one fasting, but that Peter was too. You might say, well, where does it say that? Well, in, in, in this 10th chapter, we read that Cornelius sent a delegation of men to go to, to get Peter. And, and in verse 9, it says, The next day, as they went on their journey and they drew near the city, that Peter went up on the housetop to pray. It was about the sixth hour. In verse 10, it's really key in here. It says, Then he, speaking of Peter, became very hungry and he wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And if you're familiar with this account, this is when he gets this vision from God of the sheet coming down out of heaven with all these different clean and unclean animals. And it says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But he gets this visitation, now we, and, and, and he hears from God, and God directs his steps. But key in here is it says that, that he became very hungry and he wanted to eat. There, there's, some, there's a reason that's, in, that's inserted into this account. I would suggest that he was fasting. He was coming off at the end of a fast. This is the exact same verbiage that Jesus or that Luke wrote about Jesus. After he fasted, he became hungry. What would, what's the point of writing that, that he was hungry? Some people have tied that in with the vision, like he's really hungry. Well, he's hungry. He, he, he wanted to eat. We become hungry at the conclusion of a fast. And, and Peter certainly understood the power of prayer Combined with fasting, we read of incredible works done through Peter. We see the Apostle Paul, he recognized the importance of, of fasting. When he was born again, when he met Jesus, he fasted for three days. I wonder what would, what would change in the hearts and lives of people when they give their life to Christ if the first thing we said to them is, here's what we want you to do, don't eat for three days, fast. Just seek the heart of God. Would people's spiritual journeys explode with growth during that three days? If, they're, if they don't eat and they say, God, I just want more of you. Give me more of a hunger. Increase my appetite. I just wonder what would happen. This is what Paul did. Paul wrote that he was in fastings often. In chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, he uses an analogy of sports. And he said, and everyone who competes for the prize, in other words, like an athlete, is temperate in all things. In other words, they exercise self-restraint. Like right now we have training camp starting, I believe. And um, so we got, we got football players that are, that are, that are disciplined in their bodies. They're, they're, they're temperate. They're exercising self-control. They're not just eating whatever they want, but they're, they're, their bodies are subjective to, to their minds. And it says now they who do it, to, they do it to obtain an, a perishable crown. In other words, a trophy, a ribbon, a plaque. But he says we, speaking to the body of Christ, we do it for an imperishable crown. And Paul went on to say in verse 27, he said, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. And so Paul made sure that his appetite were, were, was not calling the shots in his life. He said, I need, to, I need to take control of this. You see, fasting puts our flesh in its rightful place. 
In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. There's this, there's this battle going on. That God wants to do something in our lives, and yet the, the flesh is, is fighting against this. I, I think of Esau back in, in Genesis chapter 25. He sold his birthright. He, he despised a spiritual blessing that God had on his life for a bowl of soup. He said, I'm so hungry, I'm going to just die anyway. What's the difference? And he did something so foolish, he could never get that back. You see, fasting impacts us in so many ways. It enhances our ability to recognize God's voice. In Acts chapter 13, we read of the church in Antioch. It says that they ministered to the Lord and they were fasting. And I realize that we're having a bake sale following the service. That's awesome. It really is. I'm not saying food's a bad thing. But they ministered and fasted. It didn't say the pastor fasted or, the, or one of the board members or an elder. It says they fasted. There's this, there's this sense that this was normal part of, of, the, of the work of God within these folks. And as they ministered and as they fasted, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. The Holy Spirit said, Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. And, and this was the beginning of the missionary journeys of Paul, the spread of the gospel. It began with fasting. It began with seeking the heart of God and saying, God, less of us, more of you. We need a greater revelation of who you are. You see, friends, as we fast, we're more sensitive to recognizing the voice of God. Anybody experience that? It's like, you're, it's like the antennas go up and, you, and you're much more receptive. You see, there's so many voices that are trying to get airtime in our minds. So many thoughts that just keep swimming through. And, and friends, we, if we listen to the wrong voice, it can cripple the work of God. And this is something that Ezra knew that he could not afford when he was leading these people back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. You see, Ezra was an incredibly wise leader calling this fast. He recognized the the importance of posturing their hearts before God in, in humility to receive from Him. They needed guidance. I mean, think of how many times you needed guidance in the last few weeks or the last couple months. Or maybe this year and you're thinking, oh my gosh, there have been so many times throughout the last several weeks or months that I've been pursuing the heart of God. I, do I do this or do I do this? Do I take this step or do I take that step? And It's so many decisions. Fasting has a way of giving us clearer perspective of of God's ways versus our ways so we don't make wrong choices and live with the consequences. In Ezra's account, he said, we're, seeking, we're going to fast to seek from God the right way for us and our little ones. So Ezra was not only seeking God's guidance, but his insight. His, his insight with the children, fasting on behalf of the kids. Have you considered that? Do you fast for your children? What if we, each one of us, as parents, fasted for our children? Would it make a difference? He's like, we need to fast for our children. Personally, I think fasting for our kids is not optional. It's just not optional. As a parent, I fast for my kids. You see, one day I'll stand before God and I'll give an account of how I raised my kids that he put in my custody for a season. Have I messed up at times as a parent? Absolutely, we all have. But we, we, can, we don't have to 
to, to dwell on our past. Starting today, we can confess to God our shortfalls. And, and instead of kicking ourselves, we can begin a regular practice of fasting and say, God, I just want to fast on, on the behalf of my kids or, or maybe it's the kids of others. It doesn't matter if your kids are 6 or 16 or 40. It, it, it doesn't matter. Is your family worth fasting over? Are others worth fasting over? To seek the heart of God. You see, when Ezra called for a fast, he mentioned the possessions they had. He looked around and, and, and he, I don't know if it was on a couple of carts, but he had all this wealth, all this silver and all this gold, and they're ready to make an 800-mile trek through the wilderness open to bandits, open to thieves, and open to, 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 to people who would steal from them. And these riches were worth millions of dollars and they were to be set apart for God's glory. And Ezra needed wisdom in handling this responsibility. And he took the responsibilities God given him, he took them very seriously, and he took them seriously enough to seek God's face in prayer and fasting. God, I need to know, I need to know what you want me to do with what you've entrusted me with. And you see, friends, God has entrusted us with many responsibilities as well. As a church, we are responsible for this region that he put us in. We're responsible for this community. We're responsible for northeast Wisconsin. And I know that several of you driveways, you, don't, you know, Pulaski isn't your community. But we're part of this region. And God has called us. The reputation of Jesus is on the line. Eternal destinies of men and women and children, they're on the line. We have a message of hope. That is found in Christ. It needs to get out. Amen? It has to get out. The Lord is, has been stirring our hearts to, to get the messages out even further. That there is hope. That there's power in prayer. And, and over the next couple of weeks, you're going to start seeing some messages on some billboards actually around this area that talk about hope, that talk about prayer. And, and we are sponsoring those. We want people to know that there's a God who moves, that there's a God who can do the impossible. And so we're going to be expounding on it a little bit more in the days to come, but every person in this region matters to God. Amen? Every person. And, and friends, the, the question is, will we pray, will we fast for a greater revelation of God? You see, in Ezra's account... He said, so we fasted and we entreated God for this, and he answered us. He responded. Now, we don't know if they were fasting for a few days or for several weeks. Scripture doesn't tell us, but God responded. Now, we might say, well, I don't know if I can fast. I would say, well, what, what is the motivation? If I said, would you, if you fasted for 10 days, you're going to get the keys to a, a brand new vehicle, whatever vehicle you want. Would you, find the, would you find the ability to fast for 10 days and say, you know what, a, a brand new pickup truck, that'd be pretty sweet. I could fast for 10 days. Would you be able to fast for a couple of weeks, 21 days for a new house? How many would sign up and say, you know what, for a brand new house? Yeah, brand new house. 21 days. You drink all the water you want and pursue the heart of God. Some people say, well, I could never fast for 21 days. If a new house was waiting on the other end of that, would you? What about for 40 days? Jesus fasted for 40 days. There's lots of examples of people who have fasted for 40 days or longer. What if at the end of that 40 days there was a million dollar check waiting for you? A million dollars. Think you could do it? You see, we don't lack ability. We lack motivation. We lack incentive. We could do it. For a million dollars, 
40 days, I bet we'd have a lot of people sign up. So that would put me in a pretty good position for the rest of my life. For 40 days, yeah, I would do that. You see, what about, what about knowing Jesus in a greater way? Is that incentive enough? Would we pick a new truck? If we had a new truck over here and Jesus is standing here, we'd say, oh, for a new truck, I'd pass for 10 days. I wonder if Jesus would be standing here like, man, I, I want to show you so much. Would you fast? Or the, the new house and Jesus is standing over here and 21 days and you're going to get to know him like never before. And you think, 21 days, I'll die. I read very few accounts of people dying from fasting. Keep the water going and I wonder how many people would say, I'll take the house, but I don't know that I would do that for Jesus. Or for 40 days, that's like way over the top. There's other religions, world religions, Islam. Fasting is one of their four pillars of their faith. They fast regularly. Do we have that motivation? I ask that you would bow your heads with me, please. Father, we thank you for loving us enough to revealing a, a method of knowing you more. We don't have to have money. We don't have to have smarts, intelligence, Bible knowledge. We don't have to be popular. We don't have to be... There's no qualifications. We need to... We're human. We can all do this in some manner. And Lord, I pray in these upcoming days that you would reveal to each one of us, Lord, what steps we're going to take. What steps we're going to take. Are we willing to say, well, that was a nice teaching on fasting, maybe someday. Lord, I ask that you would speak to each one of our hearts. That we would recognize that, that there is no other way other than dying to self to know you more. Lord, I pray that you would just stir our hearts, that you would put an appetite in our hearts for you that would, that, would, that would trump any desires for food and to satisfy the flesh. Lord, as we've been frustrated, and you've seen every one of us, Lord, as we've been frustrated saying, well, how come Jesus said we would do this, but I can't do it? What's the missing link? Lord, is it fasting? As you modeled for us, as you said we would do. So Lord, again, we just ask that you would examine our hearts. We know that you're gentle. We know that you always want what's best for us, which will lead us to life more abundantly. Lord, I pray if there's some in here that have been deceived by the devil thinking there's absolutely no way that I would give up my food. Lord, that that hardness of heart would be softened that we would realize that we're, it, it, it's like paying 50 bucks for a million-dollar object. That $50 isn't too much. And Lord, you ask us for, for something, dying to self, to take up our cross and to follow you. So Lord, reveal to each one of us what that looks like. And we thank you. We thank you, we thank you for desiring to reveal yourself to us in a greater way. Stir up within us a mutual desire. 
we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.